We are in our series. Actually, we are in our, our very last of the seven, seven deadly sins. And this has been a journey. Uh, we've gone through and we've studied some things that, and highlighted some things and focused on some things that I think many of us didn't know much about um, as we jumped into them. And it's, it's funny, as we come to this last one, I'm going to share just some stories that I had related to me. As we've gone through this series, it's been a blessing. Have you been blessed by this series? Uh, I, I think I think many of us have, and it was funny. I was talking to uh, uh, Patty the other day, and she was mentioning that they were in the car, uh, and and Caitlin, she had said to you, she said, uh, "Man, I really love the seven deadly sins," <laughs> and she's like, "Careful, honey, you got to word that word that correctly." And I uh, love the series on the seven deadly sins. And I was talking with our sister Christy Hart a few weeks ago, and she'd mentioned to me she came up to me after a, a sermon, uh, and she said, uh, "What happened to lust?" Because we were going to talk about lust a few weeks ago, and I said, "Well, I changed it." She goes, "I've been praying for lust all week," and I went, I, I'm "Not sure that's what she meant, but I, I appreciate the people praying for that uh, and highlighting that." And now we've come to lust. Uh, this is the the last of the seven deadly sins. We moved things out of order, and as we've gone through these sins, as we've uh, seen, I think many of us might have thought, you know, this is my sin, or this is the one that I know uh, showing up today that I'm going to get it. This is what I really struggle with. And and some of us have thought, well, that's a sin for someone else. Um, and as we've gone through them, we've seen that it's not. Oftentimes, it's hit every single one of us without exception. And this is one, as we highlight, one that I knew was coming. I knew that this was one that had been a huge struggle in my own life. And uh, to wrestle with this is something that I know all too well. Uh, and we all have that sin that we struggle with, that we find more than others. And this has been mine. Uh, one that I've known from the time I was a young boy. And I remember hearing and seeing this passage uh, when, I, when I first could really read the scripture and uh, my cousin had brought a uh, Bible to church. It was the New King James Version. At the time when I was a kid, you only had King James, uh, King James Bible, which is a very ancient translation and service. And I remember not understanding a lot of what it said. And I remember when he brought this Guideposts New King James Version Bible. It was a hardcover, burgundy. And he opened it up and it had headings and it said about lust. And, and I remember reading this passage that we looked at today. And I remember being struck to the heart and feeling so convicted. And it's, that conviction has, has gone throughout my life. And it's a good thing because it means God's working. And, and he's, he's uh, drawing us near to himself. And now we've entered into lust. Uh, some have called this America's sin. Meaning that it's, it's the preoccupation of many Americans. It means sin transcends cultural boundaries. And it goes into every single culture without exception. And lust uh, goes into every culture as well. But America seems to be so preoccupied with lust. And it uses lust for anything and everything to sell it. Uh, and it's become commonplace. Matter of fact, it seems to be so commonplace that people don't even think of it as a sin any longer. And we've gone so far to the extreme that we've lost and are losing our humanity. And it's totally killing us as a people and a culture and a generation. And as I was preparing for this message, I remember the story that C.S. Lewis had written in his book called The Great Divorce. And it's not talking about a divorce between a husband and wife, but something totally different. But in it, he imagines uh, this, this world, if you will, and there's this ghost of a man and this ghost of a man walks up to this presence, almost like an angelic figure, and has this red lizard on his shoulder. And this red lizard is just always there and, and gripped to him. And the, the presence asks the man, this ghost, 
if he can kill this uh, red lizard because it's sucking the life out of him. And he says, no. He says that we can pacify it. We can train it. Maybe get some sleep. Maybe do all of these different things. But it's of no avail. The only way that it can be rid of its menacing power is to be killed. And finally, the man, this ghost, allows this lizard to be struck down. And the presence grabs the lizard from the shoulder, rips it off, and it falls on the ground, back broken as it writhes. But as that happens, a transformation begins to occur in the ghost. He becomes to be solidified. Flesh starts to appear. He becomes strong. He becomes no longer a ghost, but a man. And at that same moment, that lizard that hit the ground begins to transform. And it changes color and it begins to expand and, and much larger. And it becomes actually a brilliant stallion, majestic and strong. And this, this man who's been restored jumps on that stallion and runs off. And, and it's a picture that our lust, when it holds on to us, can kill, it, can kill us and keeps us from really being effective. But we're almost, we're half the people that we are really are because of what it does to our souls that we must kill it. And when we do, when we kill it, we find a newfound strength in how we are to live. Lust is powerful. And today, we're going to talk and look at lust. We're going to be expanding in our parameters, if you will. We'll be highlighting this passage in Matthew chapter 5 that Jesus so speaks about lust. But we're going to go into Proverbs. We're going to see God's intent for what lust really is or what it is not. So we're going to see what lust is, and we're going to see how it originated and and what it means for each one of us, and how we can try to channel and deal with our lust in such a way that we can put it to death and put it in its place so that we can be the people that God wants us to be. So let's ask for God to bless our time before we go any further. Lord, Lust is that, li- that, that dragon, that little lizard in our lives that seems to drain us. Lord, show us today how you desire us to rip that off. That we, become, we can become complete, full people. And that we can become people that radiate your glory more effectively and more purely. So Lord, for those who are struggling that find this their, to be their sin, I pray that this might be a message of hope. For those that are not yet convinced, I pray that you might convince them that you might draw them near to yourself. But Lord, speak to us as your people that we might avoid this deadly sin and be a people set apart for yourself, for your name. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, first thing that we need to do, as we've done with every single one of the sins that we've looked at, is we need to get an accurate definition of what lust is. We need to get an accurate definition of what lust is. I've gone to different conferences. I speak at different camps. And lust is always one of the t- uh, question and answer questions that comes up. Is it lawful to me for, to, is it wrong for me to lust after someone? What if it's my, my girlfriend or my boyfriend? What if it's my, my fiance or my spouse? Uh, what is that? And, and so we need to understand what is lust and what it's not. And here's the, the definition. Lust is the profuse desire after something that is not yours. Now, that's primarily within the sexual or physical arena. That's the primary use of it. But you can have a lust for many different things. It has a relationship to covetousness. 
It's wanting something that is not yours or what someone else has. But lust is a profuse desire after something that is not yours. So when we talk in the the realm of lust, uh, we must recognize that lust is directly related to, as we talked about, our sex drive. Okay, and, and this is something that churches have not done well to talk about over the years. As a boy, I don't remember once hearing a message about sex or sexuality. I was forced to hear it from movies and TV shows and friends and cousins and everything else. No one ever spoke to me about these things because no one knew what to do because people had so removed it from the Christian life that it seemed to be this polluted and dirty thing. And that's part of the problem is that we have lost God's intent for sexuality and what it entails. So we need to understand what sex is. And we have to understand that the sex drive is created by God. God made that drive within each one of us. See, this is where I'm, I'm blown away as I see our children being grown up and I see all the things that kids learn uh, in school and relationships and they learn about the physicality of stuff, but they don't understand how to interact and engage in relationships and how relationships are not just physical, but emotional and spiritual. And we're going to spend more of our time in relationships than we will at any other thing that we ever do in our lives. And sexuality plays a huge role part of that. That's why we have the hormone years. Those are not by accident where children are being awakened to the world that are around them. And it behooves us as individuals to understand that, to be able to address it, to talk about it. We have to understand that this was something that was created by God and it was good and he made it and it's a wonderful thing. Matter of fact, the Song of Solomon extols the beauty of sexuality but it is we who have distorted and perverted it so that it is a shell of what God intended it to be. So God created sex, and his intent was for it to be exercised by a married, and a husband and wife, married couple. By a married couple. It was to be done within the covenant of marriage and, and nothing else. That leaves sex with any other person outside of a man and woman united in the covenant of marriage as wrong. Love is not love, not, I see that all the time. Love is love, and we're going to express it. Love is sex. No, it's not. Fornication, living together, divorce, homosexuality, bestiality, bigamy, polygamy, open relationships, objects, robots. It's all out there now. Thruples. Uh, I'm amazed at all the new terms and all the different diverse sexuality that is being promoted. And you know what? Christians, I've had so many theologians have said for years that as soon as the, the line was crossed in relation to gay marriage, everything was in play. And it's true. You see that going on now. Matter of fact, you're seeing advocates in the medical community writing in medical journals that are saying that pedophilia is not bad. This is where our world is at. I'm not joking. You're you're seeing that. People want to marry a robot, and you have sex robots, and you have got pornography, proliferation of it. It is everywhere. It is in grocery stores. It's in schools. It's shoved in our faces every single place we go. And it's only going to get worse. But let me say this. There's nothing new under the sun. This is not new. If you go back and you read what the ancient Romans did, you would throw up. Almost every one of the Caesars were child molesters. Every one of them, engaging in all kinds of awful things. So this is not anything brand new. Sexuality has been around since the very beginning of time, and it's always been perverted, and people always want to go outside of the line. 
But God calls us back to where he wants us to be. We have to understand that. That it's meant to be exercised by a husband and wife. And you know what? It's also for their mutual contentment. Contentment. Now, Thomas Aquinas was a Catholic, brilliant medieval Catholic theologian, and he wrote a lot about the seven deadly sins. And one of the things that he talked about in regards to sexuality, and this is where Aquinas fell off the boat, because Aquinas is like, if it's enjoyed, it's wrong. I'm like, I'm, 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 I'm in tremendous trouble. Because he said if it's just for the purpose of procreation, nothing else. And that mindset's permeated and gone on through time. But that's not what the scripture says. He's gone beyond what scripture says. If you read the Song of Solomon, these are two individuals that are extolling the beauty of their bodies and sexuality and enjoying and pleasing one another. And it's a wonderful thing. So it's created for our enjoyment, not just our procreation. But that is also another part of it. It's for their mutual contentment and also to bring forth children. Now, as the whole gay marriage thing is being uh, still debated, hotly so, but before it actually came into being, there were some that said, well, what is the purpose of marriage? And someone said, well, it's for children, and people laughed at them, which is funny that people would laugh at them today because that's what it's been since the beginning of time. It's for children. Matter of fact, God talks about that, as God allows, by the way. Now, God doesn't always bless in that way for people to be able to have children, but that's his intent although not for everyone. We see this in Malachi chapter 2, verse 15. God says, did, did he not make them one, the husband and wife, with a portion of the spirit in their union? And the idea is, is that a life is made by the sexual union of a husband and wife. That's what you see going on. And what was the one God seeking? Godly offspring. So guard yourselves in your spirit and let none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth. People will laugh at you if you say this to them today, but it's been God's intent, and it's not changed. No matter what goes on in our world, no matter what gets trumpeted in our colleges and universities, no matter what society seems to value, God's word will always stand true, and every man will be proven a liar. Knowing this, we have to know that everything is not right with the world, and for us to understand where we are at right now requires us to see the distortion that has been introduced a distortion has come in that has marred our understanding of what sexuality is and it's affected us all and it's, and it's taken its lumps in every generation and in our generation it's become more extreme because of many of the scientific advancements that we have had and we'll, we'll see this in a moment but this distortion didn't just happen now it happened at the beginning of time when Adam and Eve partook of the fruit so when they went through the fall which was like a nuclear bomb going off and sending all the nuclear particles in the air that everyone breathed in. Now we are all our children of the fall. Every single one of us are affected by it. We're distorted in our, in our view. Our, our view is, is not right. It's, our perspective is off. And we have to go back and put on the lens of the word of God to see how God views it and what he wants us to be and what he wants us to do in regards to sexuality. Now, this view only changes when, again, we put on Christ and are given God's lenses of his word to see the world as it really is. And those lenses are the word of God. Now, God's word helps us to see the world as it really is. 
in regards to our sexuality and our sexual desire, this distortion leads us now because to isolate the action. And here's what I mean by that. When we're talking about lust, we're no longer looking at a person for who they are, but we're looking at just the physical pleasure aspect of it. But see, that's not just what sex is. See, sex is a unification and a mingling of souls. That's what it is. There's a portion of the spirit, they become one flesh. Not just physically, but there is a spiritual unification that occurs when you engage in intercourse. And that's why the scripture warns us about it, especially in 1 Corinthians, about you being united with a prostitute. You become one with her. It's not just the act that there's a mingling of souls. You might have wanted to isolate the act, but you are losing your soul in the process. So we have to understand that because when we lust, we isolate the action. We just look at the sexuality. It's just like looking at a table of food and you're only wanting to eat the the ho-hos over and over and over and over and over again. You're not getting a balanced diet. You're just taking it sugar and sugar and sugar. And 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 at first it's great, but the more you do it, what happens? You get more and more sick over and over and over and over and over again. See, we isolate the action. That's what lust does. It removes the personhood from them and only isolates uh, and, and focuses on the sexual act. So it isolates it. And sex is not looked upon as the emotional, spiritual, and physical connection. As one musician said, we're animals. That's it. We're slaves to our desires. We're only seen in the physical state. And, and we see that being uh, going on more and more. Like, for example, the, uh, the advent of the pill enabled sex to happen without consequences. The proliferation of divorce further just moved people away from what commitment was and being in a, an understanding relationship with someone else and just wanting the act. And then it splits up uh, children, leaving children without a stable family. And Playboy and pornography further enabled the split, just focusing on the physical. And it, it's, it's bad now when Playboy itself is no longer selling pornography. Why? Because there's no need. Because it's everywhere. They got what they wanted. They isolated the act. They, they brought it all out, and they made it just focus on the physical. Let's just look at the physical. It's about your gratification and your pleasure and no consequences at all. That's what you see on TV and movies. They show all this great passion stuff, and that's not real. They don't show you the families that are wrecked because that's how God has ordained it to be. And when we go outside of that, we have to pay the consequences of it. Now, that doesn't mean that, there, that everyone in this room is an angel. That doesn't mean that there's not forgiveness. But I want to show you how God has put it together. And see, what happens is after we isolate the action, and this is where we get into our passage today, Jesus goes beyond just the action of it. He says, when you've looked at a woman lustfully, you've committed adultery with her in your heart. So now what you've done is you're imagining the action. That's the second point. You isolate the action and you imagine it with others. You imagine with that person, and you're no longer seeing them as a person. You're just imagining the sexual act. You're looking at it for your own pleasure and what it can give you and what it means to you. And you imagine it because the imagination is powerful. It is one of the most powerful things that we have in our being. Whether it's fear, whether it's lust, the imagination has to be reined in our imaginations run rampant. They're like wild mustangs. They have to be tamed. They have to be brought in. And then we imagine it 
with others. Jesus talked about that. He says, you have heard it was said long ago, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman lustfully, and no, he's speaking primarily to men. It's not saying that women who look at men lustfully are not committing adultery. It's vice versa. Okay, both are in play. Intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. See, when we lust, we don't care about who the individual is as a person. We think only about our gratification, which means that this distortion causes us to ignore the person or deny the personhood. Here's what I mean. Uh, There was a video that circulated not too long ago by a a, uh, fashion designer by the name of Jessica Ray. Now, Jessica Ray did this whole kind of like a TED Talk, if you're familiar with those, on the evolution of the swimsuit. And in it, she notes a scientific study that was done after men had viewed scantily clad women. And they noticed something very interesting. The man's language changed. He used different pronouns. Rather than she did, she was, she saw, it was I do, I am, I take. Meaning that the woman was no longer a woman in his mind. She wasn't a person with feelings and emotions. She was just body parts and an object for his own taking. After he saw it. So it's, some people say, well, men are pigs. Yeah. Because what happens is, is when, they, when, when men see that, I'm not excusing it. I'm saying the scientific proof that it's shown that a man's language changes and no longer are they looking at the woman as a woman. But she's just an object for their sexual pleasure. So there was a shift that occurred, that happened, and it ignored who they are as people. And I find that that's what happens with pornography. It isolates the act. You don't, know, you don't realize that they're a mother or a daughter or a sister. No longer that. Matter of fact, in, a, in a Florida, there, were, there was a new experiment that was done for men that were arrested for soliciting prostitutes. And rather than to serve jail time, what they did is they brought them in and listened to the stories of former prostitutes tell their story. Because these women weren't enjoying it. They make it sound like they are so they could get more money. But the idea, the, the, the problem, what many of them, they didn't have they had any means of getting a job. They were forced into it. They had to support their family. They hated it. They didn't enjoy it. You know, there wasn't anything about it. And it was then the humanity came on. And now the men want to stay away from it because it wasn't just the act anymore. They had to see who they were as people. There was the same that was done with a a former porn actress that they brought these two men from Germany. They wanted to go see their porn actress and she shared their story and they sat there and bawled because no longer was it just the, the act any longer. They saw who she was as a person. They saw her tears, the drug addiction, the STDs. All of this stuff was brought out. But that's not what the world wants you to see. It doesn't want you to see that. It wants you to see the world perfect. Isolate the pleasure. And it's great. And it draws you in. And Satan's just laughing the entire time as he's got you on the line. And he's killing people. He's destroying them. You are half the person that you are because you are stuck in your lust. And you think it's no big deal. It's a victimless crime. You're an idiot. You're the biggest dummy that I can ever think of because what you're doing is you're believing one of the biggest lies in the world because it's not a victimless crime. It is not. It destroys people's souls. Matter of fact, there was just an article this past week that was out in the news of one girl who had made a quote-unquote sex tape and she'd sent it to someone. It was the stupidest thing in the world. And what happened? They got it and sent it all over the world. What'd she do? She killed herself. She couldn't take it. Because people were writing and saying all these things about her. And it was hurting her. It was destroying people. 
That's what we have that's going on. It's destroying souls. And you see these guys, all they, I mean, they're not just guys and girls. People are in the hookup culture. Wash in, sleep with them, I'm out. But it's destroying people's lives. And especially this in this generation more than any other. Any other. And it's deadly. You ignore the person. That's one of the reasons we have so many people that are messed up in their relationships and marriage and things like that because everybody thinks it's a porn thing. No, that's not it at all. You bring that into your marriage, you're destroying it. I can't tell you how many different couples that I've had come to where the wife says, my husband's addicted to porn. Or he's stuck with this or that and introduce, I mean, I had people contact me because they had open relationships and they're feeling the scars of it. It's messed up. And God's not, God's ordained it to be one way. And you might have desires to go outside of that, but those are fallen desires that we have to rein in. And see, when we're, when we're ignoring the person and we're just imagining the act and isolating the action, that leads us to impetuous decisions. Impetuous decisions. I mean, we don't think about it. We don't, we don't think. We just do. We just get what we want. We take it. And we don't realize the consequences of the action. Proverbs talks about this. In Proverbs chapter 7, this is, I mean, Proverbs talks a great deal about sex, by the way talks about our relationship to people. And it's interesting, chapters almost 5, 6, and the entirety of 7 are talking about sexuality of Proverbs. And it says this, with much seductive speech, she persuades him. This is a woman who has left her marriage vows. Her, her husband has gone on for a trip. She sees this young man milling around. She persuades him. With her smooth talk, she compels him. All at once, he follows her. As an ox goes to the slaughter, or as a stag is caught fast till an arrow pierces its liver, as a bird rushes into a snare, he does not know that it will cost him his life. The idea is, is he doesn't think about it. He doesn't realize of what he's going into, what he's stepping into, what's about to happen. It's an impetuous decision. I mean, think about that in your life. Have you ever done that? You got caught up in lust? You got caught up in the act? Things got hot and heavy? What happened? Made some impetuous decisions. Some of those decisions stay with you for the rest of your life, whether it's a venereal disease, whether it's uh, maybe a child. What is it? What is it? What have you done? Impetuous decisions. And where does an impetuous decision lead us? To impure actions. To impure actions. We do, when we make that decision, we're going to do the act. We're committed. I mean, it's, it's just like when you're, at, when you're coming down after the service, if you're cruising down Galena and you get right to Edgelon and you see that light turn yellow and you're about three houses away, do you slow down or do you gun it? See, many of us, if we gun it, then we're committed. No matter what that light is, we're going to go. We're committed all the way through. Many of us are like that even with, when it comes to lust. I've gone this far, might as well go all the way now. What's left? I've already given up this. And it leads us to impure actions. And lust, by the way, is not strictly a male issue. Even in Scripture, we read that Potiphar's wife lusted after Joseph. She noticed that he was handsome in form and appearance. And over a time, his master's wife, she cast his eyes, her eyes on Joseph and said, lie with me. It's not just a male issue. She saw him and she wanted him. And when we make impetuous decisions, they often lead to impure actions. Lust often leads us to action, whether that is with a person, one's imagination, or with an object. It is impure if it is not with one's spouse. 
And often, when we fail to rein in our passions, we do commit adultery. And in doing so, we infringe on another's rights. We infringe on another's rights. Now, you might say, how am I infringing on another's rights? It's just me that's doing it or this person. Um, You're failing to understand the, the biblical model of what sexuality involves. And allow me to show you in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you, each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. First of all, it's saying there, just as an aside, that the Gentiles are controlled by their lust, but a believer needs to know how to put their lust in place. Deal with it. Who do not know God that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter because the Lord is an avenger in all these things, as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. When he says, no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter, the idea is, is that you are infringing upon the right of your brother if you are trying to sleep or lust with his spouse or her husband. You're infringing on the rights of another. When you fornicate which is sex outside of marriage, meaning you're not in a marriage relationship, people that are not committed, that's fornication, that's under the realm of sexual immorality, scripturally speaking, as is porneia, pornography, it's all-encompassing for sexual immorality, that when you do that then, you are stealing from the rights of that future spouse. It was their right to have you sexually to themselves, and you've given that over to someone else. That's for all of us. Like I said, no one in here is a perfect person. Allow me to say that. We all have past. This is what Scripture's laying out for us. We're fringing on the rights of another. As one young man said, he was talking about um, dating at a, a, a Christian college. He said, the facts of life are that the woman I date today may be the wife of one of these other guys in a year or two. My relationship with them is important to me, and I want a strong and positive relationship with both of them if that happens. See, we're stealing from your fellow man what is rightfully theirs. We need to consider, another, consider others' rights. Next, this distortion causes us also to injure other people. See, when we give ourselves over to lust, we injure others. It's not a victimless crime. The person we are lusting after is a victim. It causes us to go to pornography, fornicate, or even commit adultery. Pornography, pornography hurts you and any relationships you want to have in the future. Fornication hurts the other person because you will probably not get married to them or have hurt the other person's future spouse as well as yours. And again, if, you're, if it leads you to the action, what if there's a child? The child will not have a stable environment to grow up, uh, in a stable environment to grow up in of trust and love. See what happens. I mean, it injures other people. Matter of fact, Proverbs talks about this in Proverbs chapter 6. He who commits adultery lacks sense. He who does it destroys himself. He will get wounds and dishonor, and his disgrace will not be wiped away. For jealousy makes a man furious, and he will not spare when he takes revenge. He will accept no compensation. He will refuse, though you multiply gifts. It injures other people. There's always collateral damage. Someone in your family is going to be hurt by it. I guarantee it. Because that's how God's made it to be. We injure other people when we give ourselves over. And we invite our own destruction. Proverbs chapter 6, verse 27 through 29. Can a man carry fire next to his chest and his clothes and not be burned? Or can one walk on hot coals and his feet and not be scorched? 
so is he who goes into his neighbor's wife. None who touches her will go unpunished. See, when we lust, we're inviting our own destruction. Scientists actually, by the way, are noting how pornography is destroying our humanity. Pornography is as addictive as heroin and as deadly. In fact, sexual deviancy is increasing because people need more to get them going. It started with pictures, then the video of all kinds of deviant acts, and it goes further and further and further. It's destroying our humanity. More and more men are forsaking actual relationships because their addiction is so great. They'd rather have the, the videos or the internet than they actually would a living and breathing person. Because why? Because the internet gives you everything you want without the consequences. They don't have to actually engage in a conversation with someone who has feelings and a will but they don't realize that as they're doing it, they're, they're losing their humanity. But see, that's the thing about sex. In, in one way, it, we have so isolated it because, because it's become the last frontier of transcendence that people are trying to experience. G.K. Chesterton, a great Englishman, very witty man, he actually said, when men knock at the door of a brothel, they are looking for God. There's a reason why people aren't just pleasing themselves, that they want to go out and connect with someone or an object because when they just isolate the sexual act to themselves or pleasing themselves, something is missing and they feel it in the depth of their soul because it's meant to be a connection, not just not isolating the physical act. And so we're actually losing our humanity by continuing to engage in it. It's destroying our young people and now trickling into other cultures. It's getting younger and younger. There's one article that recently came out of Great Britain in the Daily Mail that said that uh, one young woman said she just sleeps with her boyfriend so she can get him to just watch a movie with her because it's so addictive. It's so addictive, meaning that these guys, all they want to do, they expect every girl to sleep with them now. That's all they do. Every girl is expected to do that, and if they don't, they move on. So now it's just become, I mean, it's, 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 people are losing the emphasis, the holiness, the sacredness of it. And it's become just this banal act of animal aggression. And if people do, they're becoming more and more ghosts. Their humanity is being lost because people have lost the understanding and intent of it because that's how God has ordained it to be. We're inviting our own destruction. I mean, you have rape, unplanned pregnancies, venereal diseases, psychological damage, and a whole host of other problems are because we have believed the world's lie of lust. And then there are the young women who are giving themselves over to sex because they believe they have to do it for love. They're being used and tossed away. There's been documentary after documentary that are coming out of these young women that are doing anything to be famous, even engaging on pornography. And all of these pornographers say the same thing. They'll be lucky if they last a year. A year because of how they're chewed up and spit out. It starts off nice, gingerly, and it becomes more and more deviant because that's what pays. That's where it's at. How do we get through this? I mean, this is depressing seems hopeless. I mean, it seems to be everywhere we go. The checkout line at the grocery store, at the gas pump, in our homes, on our phones. How do we get through this? How do we equip our children? What about those of us who are, are addicted and are feeling that conviction right now? What about those who have really messed up in this area? Well, there's hope. Our God is a God of hope. We have to learn to navigate the danger zone because it's a danger zone. Everywhere we go, there's no place that's not safe. I don't care where you go, what country you're in, lust is lust, and it will be present. I mean, even in cultures where women are dressed in head to toe in a burqa, there's still lust. It's everywhere. It's everywhere. 
And you see it going on, but it's, it's being, by the way, exported from the United States into all these other cultures. And it's sickening. Just to give you an idea, I was in Israel in 1998. I was walking in Jerusalem. And I was in the, uh, one of the quarters of Jerusalem with Melissa and a good friend of ours named Rachel. And uh, we weren't married yet. And, and, and I was trying to protect both of the girls. And we're walking down this very narrow sidewalk. And Melissa goes one way and Rachel goes another. And Rachel's blonde. And in that culture, it's very valuable. And I, my first instinct is to try to go to Melissa. And I, and I see this young man coming, approaching Rachel. And he has his eye on her. And I know he's going for it. He just goes up and he puts her hand right on her. And just walks away. Disappears in the crowd. People have lost their understanding. They'll go up, touch, do, whatever. You're seeing gang rape increasing in places like in India. I mean, it's, it's happening all over the world. And the United States is the number one exporter of it. It's destroying our humanity. Our ability to understand. People are given more and more over to it. But how do we navigate through this danger zone? For this to happen, we have to do a few things. Number one, we have to contemplate God's truth. We can't have anything without the Bible. There's nothing without the Word of God. We need God's Word to direct us in the, in the midst of our worldly wanderings, much like hikers who get disoriented have to use the North Star to navigate. When we contemplate and dwell upon God's truth, making it a part of ourselves, God gives us direction and removes the fog of confusion. When temptation comes, verses that we have memorized come to the forefront, giving us strength and guidance, leading us away from sin. As Psalm 119.11 says, I have stored up your word in my heart that I may not sin against you. It comes from understanding that. Now, this is a point that is not talked about too often, but one way of navigating the danger zone is for singles, as, as, it, as it is in your control, to choose a mate. Now, this doesn't kill lust, but it does dissipate it, right? And, and you, don't talk, you don't hear people talk about this very often, but the Scripture talks a great deal about it. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Now, concerning the matters about which you wrote, it is good for a man not to have sexual relationships with a woman, but because of the temptation to sexual immorality, because you have a sex drive, and we're not very good at controlling our sex drive, uh, each man should have his own wife, and each woman her own husband. Now, again, I understand many of you want to be married, and it's not happened yet. Continue to wait on the Lord. The husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights, and likewise the wife to her husband. Again, we have a sex drive. It's, not, it's physical. There's an emotional connection that's involved with it. For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another, except perhaps by agreement for a limited time. Why? That you may devote yourselves to prayer. So there's like a sex fast that goes on. But then come together again so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. There it is. We have a desire, sexual desire. One of the reasons that God has given that relationship to marriage, a marriage relationship is for the exercise of that desire, of that release, of that connection that we long for. Now, as a concession, not a command, I say this. I wish that we're all, we're all as I myself am, single. But each one has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. To the unmarried and the widows, I say this, it is good for them to remain single, as I am. But if they cannot exercise self-control, you have sexual desire, they should marry. For it is better to marry than to burn with passion. I memorized this in college. 
being honest, I knew that God had not given me the gift of singleness. It is not wrong to have that in your mind to be married. Can't be the only thing, but it's a large part of it. Because that's the only other person on the planet that you can have that release with. The Bible doesn't, we don't talk about that very often, which is to our detriment, and it's our cultural thing, not a biblical thing, because the Bible talks about it greatly. We have to understand that. Paul understood that sex belongs in marriage, and it's often our physical desires that help drive our lust. They have to be subservient to our will, but to say that they have no place is utter foolishness. Choosing a mate should help us dissipate our lust somewhat, but it does not cure it. We still have to rein in our desires. The next step, if you are married, is this, to cultivate your marriage. Cultivate our marriage. This is the reason why Paul tells us we're to give the wife her conjugal rights and the husband his because we have sexual desires and when those needs are not met, we have greater tendency, not an excuse, but a greater tendency to go outside of the marriage bond. And again, it's not an excuse. You are still responsible for one's actions, but if to say that that does not play a part is foolishness. Marriage is work, and sex is one aspect of marriage and an important one at that. We have to cultivate our marriages, and that means working on the sexual relationship in marriage. It is not the movies. It takes work to navigate the stages of life and the many changes a couple goes through. Stresses, hormones, children, work changes, physical ailments, stressors at work, in life, relational issues. We have to work through these, and by working on these, of which the sexual relationship plays an important part, will help us with our lust. Again, it doesn't cure it, but it helps us curb it. Now, no matter what our relational status, if you're single or married, we still have to learn to curb our imagination. Curb our imagination. We have to learn to rein in our imagination. And that means we have to renew our minds by taking in God's word, learning to think thoughts and things that are good, and frisking our thoughts. In other words, throw them up against the wall of our mind before we let them take root. That might mean distracting your mind, turning to other things, but we have to curb our imagination. And I find that one of the things that helps me is when I identify the lie that lust usually presents itself as. Because every sin comes wrapped in a lie. There's a grain of truth in it, but it's always wrapped as a lie. And when you can identify the lie, the temptation dissipates greatly. So you have to learn to identify the lie. Like for this right now, I'm lusting. Say you're getting ready to lust and say, I believe that this person can meet my needs, but you know what? I already have, maybe you're married. I already have a spouse. Or maybe the reality is, is I don't know who they are. I'm just looking at the, the lust of it. And I need to think about who they are as a person. When you start thinking about who they are as a person, they're a lot less attractive. Sometimes, sometimes they're more attractive. But you have to think about that because a lot of the stuff that we see with pornography and a lot of the stars and people that are brought up in Hollywood all the time, when you talk to them and hear their thoughts, you're like, ew. They're not very pretty at all. Actually kind of an ugly person. And that, that removes the temptation greatly. So we have to learn to curb our imagination. Next. Or, and by the way, another way of doing this is thinking of it as, think of that person as a family member. Like that's a sister or brother or a daughter. And that puts the humanity in it because you learn that that family member has feelings or a mother. Next, we have to learn to caution our eyes. I'm going to go through these last points rather quickly. Caution our eyes. Be careful what you put before your eyes. As Job said in Job 31.1, I made a covenant with my eyes not to look with lust at a young woman. Um, and that means, for, and as for many of us in this room, what are you watching on TV? What are you watching? I'm amazed at the amount of stuff that Christians will put in front of their face that the Bible condemns. 
If that person is naked on there, they're naked. That's wrong. Period. Well, it's part of the story. You're an idiot. I don't care if it is part of the story. That's how Satan got you in there. Ask God what he thinks about the story. I don't care how great the story is. That's a naked person that's on there that you're not supposed to be looking at. And we become so accustomed to it because it's everywhere today. And we try to rationalize it. Well, at least it's not this. At least it's not that. And then the more that it does, the more that the water gets turned up and that frog is boiling in the kettle. That's what we have going on. You shouldn't be watching it, period. Turn it off. Caution your eyes. You have to be careful what you are taking in your viewfinder, whether that is on the screens we're looking at or the people you see before you. You have to caution your eyes. Bounce them. You see it once, you can't avoid it. You see it's there, you can turn away. You may not be able to avoid the first look, but you can sure avoid lingering in a second look. As one farmer said, it's not wrong for the sparrow to fly through my barn, but it's wrong when the sparrow builds a nest there. We may not be able to avoid the first look, but we can't avoid the second. Next, we have to check our hearts. Check our hearts. God always wants the heart, but it's the, but it's the heart that is deceptively wicked, and who can understand it? It's our wicked heart that helps us rationalize all kinds of evil, and it's our heart not our eyes that leads us astray. We have to know that first. What is God showing you about your heart? Are you trying to bring others along with you? Or maybe you're trying to rationalize your lust. Maybe you're saying, it's okay if I lust. I'm not sleeping with them. Or maybe it's okay to lust because my marriage isn't giving me what I want. Or maybe this one, it's okay. I'm on a diet, but that doesn't mean I can't look at the menu. I've heard that one a few times. Now, I have this problem. When I look at the menu, I want to eat it. Don't do that. And I hear the people, well, I need to sleep with him before we get married because I need to take it for a test drive. Why do you need to take it for a test drive? It's the only car you're ever going to own. These are stupid illustrations that people use to try to justify their sin and their action. So you got to check your heart because it's where your heart leads you astray. And, th- and this, by the way, does not just involve the eyes. This can be and involve your, what you're reading and what you're taking in. It could be the story. There's a reason why there are certain books that are really popular right now among women that may not be porn in that they show display nudity, but what they're describing is really porn. And it's caught women's hearts. So it's not just your eyes, it's your heart. Guard your heart, guard what you take in. Next step, we have to learn to channel our desires. We have to uh, direct our desires to the appropriate outlet and redirect them. It's hard to do, but it can be done. Sinful desires are like rushing waters. They find the path of least resistance. We have to redirect our desires to the appropriate places. And I find that desires often come up during free moments. It's best to find a way to fill that time so we have less time to dwell on our sin. Next, we have to learn to carry our cross. Oh, wait, sorry, I went back. I forgot to control our conversation. Control our conversation. Be careful what you say with people. You can get real personal. And and I've seen spouses do this, and I'm amazed. You should not be sharing details, intimate details about your spouse or talking about things that only for your spouse with someone of the opposite gender. You shouldn't. Because what happens is there's a bond made. And I've seen Christians do this and try to guise it under the the, um, banner of we were sharing one another's burdens and praying for one another. Let me tell you, that's one of the most intimate things you can do. I tell couples, and oddly enough, if they're getting ready to get married, I say, be careful in praying with one another. People are like, what? Because it's one of the most intimate things that you can do. Praying for one another, your souls are exposed before God. And it seems spiritual. Man, it gets physical real quick. I mean, it sounds strange that you know, prayer can be like a foreplay, but that's, in, in some ways, it is for people. And it's an intimate thing. 
And you have to be careful of it and guard your conversation, what you're saying to different people and how you bring them in. Because again, we saw in that proverb with her speech, she seduces him. Because we, we bring it in, we rationalize it, we talk about it. Someone might compliment us. We're getting bad vibes at home from our spouse, but yet this person seems to be great, engaging and understands us. You've got to intentionally limit the conversation and what you're sharing with. Matter of fact, I know so many pastors that are telling their parishioners to get off Facebook because they're going back and reconnecting with old um, girlfriends and boyfriends. And then the conversation starts. Next thing you know, they leave their spouse. Be careful what you say and where you're at and who you're with. And again, check your heart. Check your heart because your heart knows and you know yourself. You're just making, you, we have a tendency to lie to ourselves. We have to apply God's truth detector. Channel our desires. The next, last two, we have to carry our cross. No matter what our situation or our status, we all have to learn to die to ourselves, that we may, and that may mean putting to death our desires, even if they are good. For example, I had a man who was an elder at my church in Massachusetts. His wife got an illness that she put on 100 pounds in one year. She couldn't move. She couldn't bathe herself. She couldn't do it. There was no sexual relationship. For 16 years, he took care of her. He came home every day and took care of her. Now, he had sexual desires. He had to learn to, to, to die to them and serve his wife. In our world today, that's people say, hey, whatever, go on, get out, get on, get your needs met. I had a friend, pastor in Chicago. He was serving faithful pastor. He was on his motorbike. He got hit. He was in a coma for I don't know how many weeks, had a brain injury. Now he's, he's, he's recovering, but he's permanently damaged. Four children, wonderful servant of God. His wife couldn't handle it and divorced him. He has to go back and be taken care of by his, his uh, parents. Doesn't want to be there. But his wife is like, I didn't sign up for this. What do you think the worst is of for better or for worse? I get it. I'm not there. But I hope and pray that if I ever were to be there, that I would be faithful unto death. And we have to learn to put, take up our cross, which means dying to ourselves. Carry our cross. It's not easy, but it's what we're called to do. Now, lastly, if we are still prone to lust, then we need to clear out, which means run. Which means run. Get out of there. Joseph is a great example. Next week, we're going to be kicking off our new series on the life of Joseph. And we're going to see this man. He's in temptation. He's got a woman that makes sure everyone in the house is gone, and it's just her and him. She's offering up herself, man. What's he do? He doesn't even want to be around her. And he gets out of there so much, though, he leaves his coat behind. He ran. Clear out. Don't sit around and think about it and stop and, stop and go, okay, let's pray about this right now. Get out. Run, don't give an excuse why, just leave. Walk out the door. Who cares about the social ramifications? Think about the spiritual ones. Those are the greater ones that we need to think about. Now, uh, we're out of time. Matter of fact, we've gone over time. But I believe this is such an important message for all of us. And let me say this. I know that there aren't angels here. Meaning that I know many of us in this room have passed. I know we've messed it up. Some of us might be feeling guilt, heavy guilt right now. Let me tell you, and let me offer you something amazing. There's forgiveness. Jesus cleanses us from all of our sins, all of our backgrounds, all of our past, and he makes us into new creatures. He forgives us. And say, you might say, well, I was a believer when I did this. You know, there's a promise in Scripture that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That he can cleanse you. 
no matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, if you come to him in repentance and brokenness, he will forgive you. He'll give you direction. And if you need help with that, where you're at right now, you might feel like a slave to lust, talk to us. Uh, talk to me. Or I, and if, I can direct you to someone else if, if not feel comfortable talking to me to help you to be the person that God wants you to be because this is a deadly sin. It will take you down, and I don't want to see you be a casualty in this war for your soul. I want to see you have victory through Jesus Christ and him who purchased us and died on the cross for our sins and paid the price for our sins that we'd be freed from the power of our sin and be free from our guilt and shame that we can be pure before him. And it's available to you. If you're here today and maybe you're feeling that guilt and you haven't yet believed or received him, that he offers that gift to you to make you right with himself by his sacrifice on the cross for you and his resurrection from the dead, he'll make you into a new creature and give you a new power to help put this sin to death in your life. He promises that. And he is always faithful. Let's pray. Father, we come before you knowing that we are sexual beings. And that you've made us that way. And Lord, help us to, to redirect our desires and to shut out the voices of the world, the flesh and the devil that seek to help us justify the indulging of our sinful desires. But Lord, help us to look again, to behold the cross, to see what your judgment upon all sin is at the cross and what sin cost you. Lord, we know that it is deadly and that many of us in this room experience less day in and day out and never seem to be rid of it. But Lord, help us to see that we can have newness of life, forgiveness of sin, being cleansed and made righteous in your sight. Help us to see that there is hope, that there is opportunity for change, that there is opportunity for victory, just as you were victorious over sin and death by your resurrection from the dead. May we live in the power of that resurrection life, knowing that the Spirit of God that helped resurrect the Son of God is within each one of us, enabling us to have that same victory. So Lord, I pray for everyone today. I pray that you might strengthen them. I pray that you might forgive them. I pray that you might establish them and that you might enable them to be able to teach others about the truth of who you are in a spirit of love and compassion. And for Lord, for those who are still holding on to their sin, I pray that you might convict them, that they might see their sin and they see their need of being saved, to see their need of being repentant and they might, you might draw them back to yourself. Lord, we love you. We love all that we have in you. We thank you that you didn't leave us in our sin, but you gave us yourself. Use us now in Jesus' name. Amen.